Welcome to the Upper Room Sermon of the Week. For more information, go to urfellowship.com. How y'all doing? Good. Great. That's what I like to hear. Hey, so we're beginning a quick little two-week series today, and it's going to be called Be Prepared, uh, because here's... Here's a situation that many of us who are Christians have, and, and I, I think this is a difficult thing, a difficult thing about being a Christian, um, is, is you know what you believe, you're excited about what you believe, um, and, and every, every once in a while somebody will kind of hit and run, kind of do this thing about your faith, do like a hit and run thing, and like they're not trying to start a conversation, so they just say something like, like uh, so you're like a Bible person, Right? And then they, you're kind of sort of thrown off balance, and then they just kind of move on to the next, next subject. And it's like, wait, 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 wait. Or they're like, oh, I forgot, you're religious, you know, or, or Frank, Frank won't be there, you'll probably be at church, right, Frank? Ha, 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 And then the subject moves on, and you don't get to say, well, well wait a minute, let me tell you what I believe. Or, or, or they tell you about their bad church experience, and right before you can tell them about your good church experience, the subject changes, and you're kind of left off balance a little bit because they've just kind of sort of made a comment about your whole spiritual experience, but they're not, they're not going to read a book, and then they just move on. And maybe this happens when you're with your family. Sometimes it's Thanksgiving or Christmas, you know, and your father-in-law has three comments. He just kind of rotates through about your Christianity, and he kind of throws this one out, and then he kind of throws that one out, and he's not, he's not looking for an answer and it just kind of throws you off balance. And what do, you, what do you say? You know, if they were asking a real question, you could say, well, here's a book. But they're not going to read a book. They're not going to listen to a podcast. They're not going to go to church. But what do you say? Because every time this happens, you get in the car, you know, and you're driving home and you go, oh, I know what I should have said. You know, and then you come up with this great thing to say, but you have to wait a whole year to use it. Now, the fascinating thing about this is, in the West, or, or specifically in, in the United States, it's funny, people generally don't take jabs at Jesus. They'll take jabs at your church, at your morality, they'll take jabs at other Christians they met, their Christian boss, somebody who used to work for them, faith, heaven, hell. They'll take jabs at all kinds of stuff, but people never come right out and say something bad about Jesus. So we're gonna do, so what we're going to do for the next two weeks is I'm going to just kind of try to give us some little anchor points. All right, what, what to say when there's little time, when, when it isn't people going, tell me about Jesus. This isn't that. You, you've got that. Now, to help us with this, we're going to look at the words of Peter. Uh, Peter, interesting person. You can go to 1 Peter if you'd like. We'll get there in a second. Uh, he's an interesting guy. He was a business guy, had a, had a fishing business with his dad and his brother. So they're doing their fishing things. And one day, a teacher named Jesus shows up and preaches a little sermon, and Peter's drying his nets, uh, listened to the sermon, and it's in the middle of the day by this time, and they've fished all night, and he's tired, and he's ready to go take a nap, and, and Jesus says, hey, Peter, let's go fishing. And Peter's like, oh, okay, I get why you're a carpenter. Um, uh, fishing doesn't seem to be your thing. And Jesus says, well, no, let's take me fishing, Peter. And I guess he's just being polite, takes Jesus fishing, and they catch all these fish. And then Jesus says, hey, I'd like you to follow me. And Peter follows Jesus, believes in Jesus, 
Uh, then when Jesus is arrested, we talked about this last week, Peter's faith goes to zero. Uh, he gives up faith completely with Jesus' arrest because Messiahs can't be arrested and killed. But Jesus was arrested and then he's crucified and Peter's like, okay, now what am I going to do? I guess I'll go back to fishing because Jesus' message was all about Jesus, right? So when he died, all Peter's hopes died too. And then Peter, I'm sorry, and then Jesus rose from the dead. Peter sees the empty tomb and then he has breakfast with the resurrected Jesus. And he becomes an evangelist for Jesus and he begins to write letters. And Peter lived in a time when it was dangerous to be a Christian. Peter was eventually crucified. Tradition says he was crucified upside down. According to tradition, he said, I'm not worthy to die like my Savior. And the Romans had a sick sense of humor, and they said, all right, we can work with that. And they crucified him upside down. So he died for his faith. But in one of his letters, it's called First Peter, because there were two of them. And uh, people who gave names to Bible books weren't very creative. They're like, let's just call him First and Second Peter which is fine, I guess. So in first, the first letter, we have recorded from Peter this awesome insight on how to be prepared when people bring up faith. But it's kind of like a hit and run type of thing. They're not trying to get into a deep conversation. So let me read you some of these verses. Here's what Peter says. First Peter chapter 3, verse 13. <clears throat> Peter says, Who's going to harm you if you are eager to do good? So who's going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. And then this is amazing. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Now again, Peter died for his faith. In our country, we don't suffer much for our faith. You may not get a job interview. You may lose a date with somebody. A little suffering here and there. But, but we, what you should know is, in the world right now, there is more persecution of Christians than any other time in our lives. There are, more Christians, there, there are Christians who will die today for their faith. And so Peter's like, hey, even if you suffer for doing good, don't fear, don't be frightened. This was from a guy who would eventually be crucified upside down. He then says this, but in your hearts revere, which means set aside as precious, or make front and center, uh, or focus on, or sanctify, if you want to use a Bible term. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. In other words, decide once or for all that Caesar, Caesar's not your Lord. Decide once or for all that your career is not your Lord. Decide once or for all he or she is not your Lord. Decide once or for all money isn't your Lord. Decide once and for all. Decide once and for all that Jesus is going to be the pinnacle of your commitment. That Jesus is going to sit on the throne of your life. Go ahead, he says, and revere Christ as Lord. And in the same sentence, um, he says, and always be prepared to give an answer. Or some translations say defense. Always be prepared to give an answer or a defense to everyone who asks you to give, a, give the reason for the hope that you have. Now, this is a really important statement. I want, to, I want to tell you why. And the best way to explain it is to tell you what he's not saying. What he's not saying is be ready to explain your, your Christian worldview in a convincing way. That's not going to happen in most conversations, right? Nobody has time for that. He's not saying be ready to defend the Bible. Okay? I'm so glad because that's hard to do sometimes, isn't it? We're going to talk about this a little bit next week, but there's whole books written about defending the Bible. You're not going to be able to do it quickly. He's not saying be ready to give a defense for your church. 
Be ready to give a defense for Christians who don't behave properly. Be ready to give a defense for the hypocrisy of Christians in the previous centuries. He's not saying any of these things. Be ready to give a defense for the book of Revelations where God burns up everything while he's laughing, you know, or whatever people think. He says, no, don't worry about all that. Here's what he's saying. I think that this is super helpful. He says, you need to be prepared to give an answer or a defense for everyone who asks you for the reason you personally have hope. That's it. But that means that you should have a a single statement that answers this question. Why have you chosen to follow Jesus? That's it. And all those other things have books that have been written about them or people that you can ask about them. If somebody really wants answers to those tough questions, there's there's ways to get answers to those tough questions. What you need to be prepared to do as a Christian, you need to be prepared to answer simply, here's why I personally have chosen to follow Jesus. Be prepared to defend your hope or your confidence in Christ. Now, if you were to say to Peter, okay, Peter, how do you defend your hope or confidence in Christ? He would give you a one-word answer, the resurrection. One-word answer would be resurrection. So Peter, why do you believe? Well, it's pretty simple for me. See, I watched him die, and then we had breakfast later on on the beach. Okay, When when you see somebody die and they're buried, and then you have breakfast with them later, that's your hope. Because as, we heard, as you heard me last week, when somebody predicts their own death and resurrection and pulls it off, you just follow them, right? He died, and then we had breakfast together. So I follow him. So my hope, Peter would tell you, is anchored in an event. It's anchored in the resurrection. Six days of creation was a literal I don't know. I'm just telling you, I saw him die, and then we had breakfast. That's why I follow Jesus. Now, when you read the rest of 1 Peter, you continually see that Peter clearly ties his personal hope in Jesus into the resurrection. For example, in the same letter, he writes this, Through him, Jesus, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. So your faith and your hope are in God. So Peter, why do you have so much hope? I have hope because Jesus rose from the dead. That's, his, that's the defense for his hope. I mean, I can't explain everything else. I'm telling you, you know why I'm, I'm not afraid. You know why I eventually will give my life. I'm not going to give my life for what I believe. People give their life for what they believe all the time. Peter would eventually give his life for what he experienced. Breakfast with a man who had been crucified. So back to 1 Peter chapter 3. He says this. But do this, this refers to explaining why you have decided to follow Jesus. He says, but do this with gentleness and respect. In other words, this isn't about winning arguments. This isn't a competition. This isn't a put down. Now, just my opinion, but I have a microphone. Uh, This is where we have messed up as American Christians, right? And I'll tell you why. Because for generations, evangelicals, that's conservative Christians, Right, I'm a conservative Christian. We have lived with this idea that we're the majority. And here's what happens. And this, this isn't just a religious thing. right? This, in any culture, when a group feels like they are the majority, they speak with an authority that they don't really have. Okay, So this is just human nature. This isn't a religious thing. When any group thinks they're the majority, 
then they get really bold, and in their boldness, they become disrespectful. So unfortunately for Christians in the West, and especially in the United States, for a while, we thought we were the majority, and maybe we were. It shouldn't have mattered, right? But we started speaking with this authority that we thought somehow we had. And when you speak with authority because you think you're a majority, eventually you will speak disrespectfully to other people. And this has undermined our credibility in our culture. Most people in America have heard the message of Jesus. The stumbling block isn't that they haven't heard the good news. The stumbling block is that they haven't seen it lived in a way that makes them interested. With gentleness and respect. Peter says, look, this isn't about winning debates. This isn't about we're better than. This, isn't about be, this is about being gentle like our Savior was gentle. And this is about being respectful. Because the thing we have to keep in mind is nobody's wrong on purpose. Right? Anybody who believes anything has good reason to believe what they believe. You know the saying, put yourself in their shoes? That's good, but put yourself in their circumstances. Put yourself in their upbringing. Put yourself in their suffering. If I was raised the way that you were raised and experienced what you experienced, I would believe just what you believe, right? So Peter's going, there's never a reason to be disrespectful. Now this is great. Verse 16, keeping a clear conscience, which means don't do anything that would cause you to have guilt in the eyes of the people to whom you're trying to live out your Christian values in front of. In other words, the way you live is just as important as what you say. It says, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So there are going to be people who, who don't believe what you believe. And they're going to look for a reason not to like you. And one of the reasons they're going to look for reasons not to like you is because your behavior convicts them. Right? So, so look, when people are critical of you because you're a Christian, and when they're critical of you because of your morality, uh, when they're critical of you because there's things you won't do, the reason they're critical isn't because they think you're wrong. Right? The reason they're critical is because they know they're wrong. So Peter says, look, when you live out your Christian values, you're going to get some pushback. But don't you give anybody a credible reason to be critical of your behavior. And then you need to have a response. Not a response that, that convinces people. You simply need to have a response that explains why you personally have decided to follow Jesus. And then you need to live a life in such a way that people are like, you know what, I don't believe all that stuff, but those are good people. Peter's saying your words matter and your behavior matters. Your words matter and your behavior matters. And here why? Because, here's why. Because selfless, generous, compassionate living is unassailable. Right? And there are several great, great illustrations, illustrations of this in history. I want to tell you about one because I, I love this one in particular. Um, about, a little history lesson, about 70 years after Jesus was on earth, so around 100 A.D., Trajan was the emperor, all right? And, and different emperors kind of had different attitudes about emperor worship. So, so he was one that decided he wanted to be worshipped. So under Trajan, 
persecution broke out in different areas of the Roman Empire against Christians because Christians wouldn't worship the emperor. So, th so there was a governor named Pliny the Younger. All right? He was Pliny the Younger because his uncle was Pliny the Elder. All right? You catching all this? Pliny the Elder raised Pliny, and so they called him Pliny the Younger. It was like a nickname. Great nickname. And he became a governor in a little province in modern-day Turkey. So Pliny the Younger, like other governors in the Roman Empire, would get these letters from the emperor in the capital that said, okay, round up the Christians. Trajan would send out these, these letters, round up the Christians. And they'd be very sketchy letters. They'd be like, they're traitors, they're against the empire, they're dangerous, they have all these dangerous habits, so round them up. We still have these letters. Here's, we actually have a picture of, of one of the original letters, if you want to go. Yep. That's an original, about 100 AD letter there. And there's, there's a couple of these exchanges between Pliny the Younger and the, the, the governor and Trajan the emperor. Okay, and these exchanges are about, okay, we've rounded up some Christians, now what are we supposed to do with them? We've tortured some, we put some to death, we found there's way more Christians than we thought, oh great emperor. There's a lot of Christians, we had no idea. We can't torture citizens, so we've arrested some of the slaves who claim to be Christians. One of these letters says, did you know that some of them have been Christians for 25 years? What are we supposed to do with these folks? So these letters are interesting because Pliny the Younger describes what he has discovered about these Christians. This is about 70 years after Jesus. So, and I want to read you a little bit of one of the letters that he writes back to Trajan because he's got a little bit of a dilemma on what to do with the Christians. You should read the whole letter, but it's fascinating. Here's what he says. And I think we have this too. Yep. The sum and substance of their fault. Now he's describing Christians to the emperor. The sum and substance of their fault or error has been that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing responsively a hymn to Christ as a God. Pause. In other words, we sent some spies into the ranks. We've interviewed. We tortured some of them. Here's what we've discovered. One of the things they do, they get up before work because it was the first day of the week when they, they worship Sunday, but it was a work day. So these Christians, imagine this. They get up before dawn and they meet together and they sing responsively. Imagine this. Imagine 2,000 years ago, a group of Gentiles who embraced Jesus as their Savior. They have no Bible. They have no written literature about Jesus. They have nothing. They might have a couple scraps of letters from Paul and Peter and somebody's come in and just shared the gospel with them. They get together before the sun comes up and they sing. And the reason they sang these hymns was because the words of the hymn were the only text that they had. This is how they taught the teachings of Jesus in the songs. And they would get up and they would sing these songs and then they would talk about Jesus as if he was a God. This is who, as a Christian, this is who you, you are connected to. This is who we're connected to. So he says, they get together before dawn, they sing songs to Christ as if he's God. Then they say, he says, and they bind themselves by oath. And here's what the oath is too. It's not to some crime. In other words, we've heard that they're criminals, but they're not, they're, they're not taking an oath to a crime, but here's what they're committing to. Not to commit fraud, theft, or adultery, not to falsify their trust, nor to refuse to return a trust when called upon to do so. Oh, great emperor, why are we arresting them? They might be the best citizens in our town. They're making an oath. 
They've committed to not committing adultery. They've committed to tell the truth. They're committed to if somebody expects them to do something, they do it. Can you imagine what would happen in our communities if tomorrow morning, before dawn, every Christian gathered somewhere, sang a couple songs, and we made an oath? Today, no fraud, no theft, no adultery. And we're going to do what we say we're going to do. And close in prayer and live that way. It'd be hard to criticize Christians. And that's what first century Christians did. Peter said, that's the way you do it. You will convince them through your lives. And then be prepared to give them a reason for the hope when the time comes. Then the letter finishes up this way. It says, when this was over, when this is over, it was their custom to depart. So they would go to work. Then after work, it says that they would assemble again to partake, uh, partake of food, but ordinary and innocent food. Now, this is a big deal right here because the rumor was that Christians ate babies. That's true. That's what they thought, that Christians ate the flesh of children and drank their blood. Now, quiz for all of you who've been to church. Where do you think that non-Christians got the idea that Christians ate people's flesh and drank their blood? We did it about 15 minutes ago right here. That's right, communion. So the rumor was they ate people. But, oh, great emperor, we sent some people in to spy, and it was just ordinary food, innocent food. They didn't eat any babies, not even one baby. So, oh, great emperor, what do we do with these folks? They're not doing anything wrong. That's why 2,000 years later, we're here because of the way these early Christians lived. And Peter goes on, back to 1 Peter chapter 3. He says this, For it is better if it is God's will for you to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Peter's going, look, you're going to suffer, right? There's no way of getting around suffering. Why not suffer for doing good and not evil? Verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. In other words, Jesus' suffering accomplished your salvation and mine. So he says, okay, Christians, be prepared to give an answer. Be prepared to give a defense. But get ready, because it may cost you. But that's okay, because it costs God something in order to secure your eternity. So, so here's the question that you have got to answer. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my answer, and, and then we're going to pick this up next week. So here's the question. Why have you chosen to follow Jesus? This is the question. And it can't be a paragraph, right? When, when somebody brings up the Old Testament or the New Testament or the book of Revelation, suffering in the world, did Jesus really say that? You know, I knew a Christian once. I went to a church once. Why do these megachurch preachers run off with their secretaries? Whatever the stories are. When all of that stuff comes up, Peter says, okay, the only thing you need to say, the only question you really need to answer is why have you personally chosen to follow Jesus? Why do you have hope in this thing? Why is your hope anchored in this Jewish carpenter? Now, I want to make a suggestion about your answer, okay? I think, I believe that your answer should be the same as Peter's to some extent. I think our answer has to include the resurrection. That's the foundation. That's the epicenter of our faith. The reason you're a Christian, whether you, whether you thought about it this way or not, is the resurrection. The reason Jesus made a difference is because Jesus is alive and you felt him 
in your heart, and that's why you have confidence. That thing you felt in your heart, that's a living person. So I believe it's absolutely important that you somehow weave the resurrection into why you personally have chosen to follow Jesus. So, so here's an example. Let me, let me just kind of read this to you. I believe, just, I believe Jesus died for my sin and rose from the dead. I believe Jesus died for my sin and rose from the dead. Okay, Uncle Eddie, that's a good question. Uncle Eddie, can I just say one thing? For me, I believe Jesus died for my sin and rose from the dead. Okay, I don't know how to answer that. You know, that bothers me too. But I, what I always come back to is, I believe Jesus died for my sin and rose from the dead. That's why I follow. Not because I have answers to all your questions. This is the epicenter. This is it. If you've wondered, you know, I don't have a great story. I don't have a great testimony. Or maybe you, all you have is sex, drugs, and rock and roll in your past. It doesn't matter. At some point, the essence, the thing that everybody's got to know is when it comes to the reason you're following Jesus is you believe he died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead. Every Christmas, you bring that thing up. You, believe, you, know, you bring that thing up, and I never know what to say. So let me just say this. For me, it's simple. I believe Jesus died for my sin and rose from the dead. Now there's a second part, okay? I believe Jesus died for my sin and rose from the dead. And then we're going to pick that up next week. But if you're a Christian, that's our hope. That's why you follow Jesus. You know, and I can't explain if it was the Red Sea or it was the Reed Sea that was four inches deep and somehow Egyptians managed to drown in four inches of water. I don't know all that stuff. Was it, you know, six literal days or six periods of time? I don't know. Those are great questions. Can I just say something real quick? For me, just me, I believe Jesus died for my sin and he rose from the dead. And here's the part that, we're, that we'll talk about next week. But it's not because the Bible says so. It's better than that. So next week we'll get into the better than that. Okay? All right, let me pray for you and then we'll, we'll get you out of here, all right? Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the freedom to talk about these things. And we thank you for Peter. We can't, we can't even imagine the terror of being arrested for, for following Jesus. And all he had to say was, Caesar is Lord, and he probably would have walked away, and he didn't. We thank you for the men and women who went before us and not just risked their life, lives, but gave their lives so that we could gather in your name. What, what an awesome thing. So, Father... Do something in us in these next couple weeks that, that, that we would have boldness, but the boldness that's gentle and respectful because our gentle, respectful Savior gave his life on our behalf so that we could have hope. We believe our Savior died for our sins and rose from the dead. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would like prayer for any reason, the ministry team will be up front. Um, come get prayed for if you'd like. Come get blessed. Amen. Have a great day.